You're tuned in to the Kojo Namdi Show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. Later in the broadcast, avoiding possible burnout from intense activism. But first, the coronavirus has disproportionately affected people experiencing homelessness in the district. How are homeless residents faring as D.C. begins to reopen and the weather heats up? What's being done to stop the spread of the virus among the homeless and how successful have those efforts been? Joining us is Lissa Ramsipal, the clinical director for Street Sense. Lissa Ramsipal, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Laura Zeilinger, director of the D.C. Department of Human Services. Laura Zeilinger, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kojo. Laura Zeilinger, can you give us an overview of what people experiencing homelessness have faced during this pandemic? Sure. Um, so when we spoke earlier in the spring, uh, uh, Kojo, on your show, DHS and our partners were just beginning to set up a number of protective interventions to support our residents who experience homelessness, especially those in shelter. And this continues to be a challenging situation. However, our data shows that our efforts are working. So our trends have followed the rest of the city in terms of new infections. And we've seen a sharp decline in cases in our emergency shelters. So we um, have, in May, for example, we had 120 new cases of COVID among people experiencing homelessness. And in June, that was 19. So what we're, uh, we are, we have a number of protective measures to, in terms of social distancing, access to healthcare, testing, contact tracing, as well as just ensuring the ability to keep people connected and safe. And we are, remain diligent on those efforts as we move forward. Sadly, we've lost the lives of 20 people who are experiencing homelessness, which keeps us focused on the need to maintain safety measures as the, COVID continues to be a threat in our community. What precautions are taken to keep people in shelters socially distanced from one another? We have uh, decreased the number of people staying in each of our shelters, so we're about 65% of capacity. For people who are at most of, at risk uh, due to their health and age, we've provided them with single-room shelter and hotels so to allow us to reduce the number of people staying in shelter, people have access, of course, to um, masks. We, they are staying in the same shelter, same bed, same shelter every night. We do health screenings every day there. And um, we've changed the way we do meals and increased our sanitation, our deep clean throughout our shelters to make sure that we're um, creating a sanitation environment. And if people are um, exhibiting symptoms, we're able to very quickly connect them to a quarantine site, testing, and uh, if they test positive, do contact tracing. So all of those things have been, been effective in allowing both more distance within our shelters as well as a rapid response should we have any introduction of COVID into a program. You mentioned contact tracing. How is that being implemented in homeless shelters? Well, because we've implemented a same shelter, same bed every night policy, we know exactly who are the people who are coming in closest contact, both through interviews as well as our bed lists. And we're able to then alert people if they've been exposed and provide them access to quarantine, which we also use hotels for. You mentioned testing, Laura Zeilinger. How often are coronavirus tests being administered in homeless shelters across the city? Uh, as soon as we um, someone identifies as potentially being having symptoms, 
We are immediately able to offer testing. We do health screening every day to identify any onset of symptoms. And if we've had a positive case at a congregate shelter, we're able to then come in within a few days and test everybody at the site so that we're able, if someone is not showing symptoms but maybe carrying the virus, identify that person within the congregate setting. Lisa Ramsapal, for those who may not know, what is StreetSense? So StreetSense Media is um, a new service organization that is, uh, we produce a paper that is contributed to and vended on the streets of D.C. by folks who are currently or formerly experiencing homelessness. Um, We also offer other services. We have a case management and outreach program uh, that focuses on um, ways to support the needs of our folks towards um, financial and housing security, but also um, just the kinds of things that are hard to manage when being employed as somebody experiencing homelessness or recently housed. Um, We also do a bit of outreach uh, meeting basic needs. We're just two blocks from the White House, so we are in the area where there have been protests and uh, the closing of um, both Lafayette and now Franklin Square Park. So we, we try to meet some basic needs. Some of that recently has been Um, wrapped around COVID-19 measures like making sure PPE is accessible and connecting to healthcare and a lot of the services that uh, Laura outlined. Um, But also on the long term, our case management services help support our um, employment program to be a street sense vendor or to contribute. You don't need to meet any qualifications. You need to come in and be interested and willing to participate. StreetSense stopped production of its print newspaper at the start of the pandemic. What informed that decision? So we we were mostly wanting to do what was safe and the most responsible based on guidance from DHS, from CDC, and also from the mayor's office. Um, at that time, and it was, was, it was in late March, uh, the 25th, I believe, it seemed that there were a number of... Um, methods for this being spread, one of which being concerned about close contact as well as um, being airborne. So we were concerned both for the health and safety of our vendors, but also that of the public if we were forcing people to be out um, selling, you know, selling the paper, but through face-to-face contact. So at that time, our CEO, Brian Carome, uh, in consultation with our senior staff, as well as other street papers um, across the country and world, um, talked about what they were doing, and the consensus was that many were um, moving away from print publication for the time being in order to promote public safety and looking for ways to, to the best of all of our ability, alleviate the financial strain of laying off, in our case, 130 vendors uh, when we did that would bring. Um, Additionally, though, we also have returned to paper sales as of last Wednesday. But for that period of time, we wanted to just do what was in line with, um, you know, professional guidance, what was safe. Um, We were able to stay open during that time on a limited basis and continue to provide other services. Let's talk with Kate at Eastern Market. Kate, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, uh, I live in Eastern Market and work with a church down there that does a lot of outreach. And we're noticing a lot of things. People don't have a, a restroom to go to. And this morning we're walking around and there's a police officer greeting all of our friends who slept in the park. And they're soaking wet and the police officer is wanting to move people along and get them to pack up their things. So it's, it's a really challenging time right now. And the police officers, you said, are wanting to move homeless persons along? Yes, yes. 
we have a, a few uh, folks that we know who are living in a park and it's in many ways, especially given their, their health conditions and their age, it's, it's going to be safer for them to be sleeping outside than to be sleeping in a, in a shelter. And um, for many of them, yes, the, the police and others are wanting them to clean up their areas and um, go somewhere else. Get a comment on that, Laura Zeilinger? Sure. Well, first and foremost, um, I know that many people may um, feel that shelter is not safe. We're working really hard to make sure shelter is safe for everybody. And to and for people with particular medical vulnerabilities, we are able to also shelter them in hotels and want to make sure that people have options. We've also know that some people don't feel safe coming inside. We've added porta potties, hand washing stations throughout the city so that our neighbors who are unsheltered and homeless are able to um, access sanitation and bathrooms. And our outreach workers and our partners have been out um, also providing services to people, including dry clothes after rain um, when possible, connecting, making sure they're connected to healthcare supports and meals and so forth. It's been extremely challenging during stay at home to be able to be out and providing those services. Um, it, however, we have had many people out there j- doing that incredible work and um, and we will continue to do so. But there are there absolutely are services and supports available. And um, and know we have some fantastic partners over in the Eastern Market, uh, Capitol Hill area. Lisa Ramspaul, as of last week, you mentioned Street Sense vendors, many of whom experience housing insecurity, are back on the streets selling print copies of the newspaper. Why did you decide to restart production now? Well, when we made the determination that we were going to temporarily suspend paper sales, we knew that we would return to the print edition. Um, we basically the same criteria. We wanted to look at what our partners across the world were doing. We wanted to look at guidance from, um, you know, the the city as well as what um, the recommendations were by, um, you know, health professionals and by the CDC. And so as D.C. was entering the next phase of reopening, um, it looked like numbers were down um, both in the citywide um, count of new COVID cases and COVID-related deaths, as well as in uh, the homeless population, as Laura mentioned. It seemed the um, there was there was nothing nothing else holding us back. The caveat is that what we are doing differently. There's a few things. One, in order for people to come into our office, either to purchase their papers to sell for any other services, even if they wish to come in and use the restroom, which we certainly allow. We are checking the temperature of every person who comes in, including our staff. If anyone is elevated or experiencing symptoms, we then have our case management department connect them to healthcare for medical advice and or whatever the next step needs to be, but they are not allowed to come in that day. Um, In addition to that, we are providing PPE for each of our vendors on a daily basis. so okay. masks, we are offering gloves, hand sanitizer. Okay. Um, yeah. Got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation about what reopening means for D.C. residents experiencing homelessness. And I'm looking forward to calls from you at 800-433-8850. Have you experienced housing insecurity during the pandemic? What do you think people should know about the experience? I'm Kojo Nandi.
Welcome back. We're discussing what the pandemic and reopening means for D.C. residents experiencing homelessness. We're talking with Laura Zeilinger, the director of the D.C. Department of Human Services, and Lissa Ramsipal, the clinical director for StreetSense. Here now is Marina in northeast Washington. Marina, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. Thanks, everybody, for your work. I live down here on 15th Street near Heckinger Mall, and um, since the COVID has started, we've sort of become an epicenter, it would appear, of folks who have no place to go. Um, all around Heckinger Mall, at the bottom of Heckinger Mall, well, it used to be called Heckinger Mall. I don't even know what it's called anymore. Um, at the <laughs> bottom, there's a little um, park with uh, used to have running water, a little fountain, a little chess table and all that. But it's become a, a congregating place for, for people who have no place else to go. And it doesn't seem to be an acknowledged center. So there's no cleanup. There's no, doesn't seem to be um, any sort of organization around that. And I was just wondering if, if that's a place that folks haven't noticed or is there anything that anybody can do to keep it, mostly that's- keep it clean because they're there because they don't want to go. That's the intersection where Bladensburg Road and Benning Road and uh, Maryland Avenue all intersect, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, care to comment on that, Laura Zeilinger? Sure. I, we will absolutely um, make sure that our partners, our outreach teams, and uh, partners at Behavioral Health and the Deputy Mayor for Health and Human Services are making sure that that's a group of folks who are not going unnoticed and un. Okay. cared for um, and do some outreach as well as make sure that we're, we've got DPW picking up trash. So thanks for flagging and you can always um, contact us around those types of things and we respond pretty quickly. So thank you. Lisa Ramsipal, how are your vendors faring now that they're back to selling? Well, certainly it's slow. Um, as we know, many offices are still closed and will remain so for uh, the, this you know, the foreseeable future in terms of being able to work from home. Um, so we have had, um, I would say, last I checked this morning, we have about approximately 40% of our active vendors who have returned to sales, and most are reporting to me that um, foot traffic is slow, um, and so they're not able to make as much um, as they have been. Because of that, of course, folks are concerned about not being able to pay rent for those who are housed, other folks who just meeting basic needs. So we're... Um, they're relying more on us and on other uh, partner agencies for basic needs like food and clothing, um, medical care, PPE, um, all manner of other things. The other thing, too, is uh, we haven't talked about is the, the stress and the impact on um, emotional and you know, uh, mental health and well-being. Uh, through all of this, it's been very stressful. I'm a licensed clinical social worker here in the district, and a lot of what we've done is had to help people um, just bearing through the stress, connecting to behavioral health services um, as necessary, um, but also just simply providing people a safe space to bring their fears and their frustrations. And some of the fears are around the disease itself, but many are about their long-term well-being. Um, We got a tweet from Annie who says, due to the lack of basic sanitation for homeless individuals, is there any effort to distribute hand sanitizer and masks to homeless and housing insecure folks? I think earlier in the discussion, Laura Zeilinger, you mentioned that. Yeah, our outreach teams do distribute both masks and sanitizer, and we also distribute masks at our shelter sites, encourage our residents to wear masks there, and we do have um, sanitizer available at our shelters. 
Recently released data collected in January revealed that the district had the fewest number of residents experiencing homelessness since 2001, Laura Zeilinger. Now, in light of the coronavirus pandemic, experts predict the city will experience a surge in homelessness. How is your department preparing for that possibility? So we know that uh, homelessness is usually a lagging indicator after an economic recession and that we, through the work we've done with our interagency council on homelessness and Homer DC, that we've really worked to build systems that are increasingly making homelessness more rare, brief, and non-recurring. And that rare part really comes from preventing homelessness. So we have doubled down on our efforts to ensure resources are available to people who've had loss of income that could otherwise result in homelessness. We have uh, have our emergency rental assistance program, which people can now go online to see if they um, might be eligible and set up an appointment without having to come in and in person. They can do that remotely. We um, are de- the district's Department of Housing and Community Development recently announced a program funded, um, also federally funded, um, to our with our home dollars to offer tenant-based rental assistance there. And we are consistently through our homelessness prevention program for families that's been in place for a number of years now, as well as uh, Project Reconnect more recently for single adults, are able, at, at the point people are on the brink of homelessness, able to intervene with some flexible supports to promote stability. So we have planned for additional resources, both federal and local, in our fiscal year 21 budget that our council has its first vote on today. And uh, we'll continue to stay focused on homelessness prevention as well as helping when it can't be prevented, people quickly regain housing. Here is Joe in Tenleytown. Joe, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hey, Kojo. Thanks for taking my call. So my big concern right now is this eviction that's hanging over our, not only locally but nationally, that people who've been out of work and they're, you know, trying to keep roof over their heads and, and buy food and buy necessities, medicine, that, you know, the city do everything they can to not evict anybody at this time. And it's like a national emergency and some special, you know, requirements are, are happening right now that we should not evict people due to lack of rent. And, and where does your guest stand on that? Laura Zeilinger, is that one of the things the council is considering even as we speak? It is. There is uh, currently a prohibition on evictions, and council is looking at extending that past um, for this public health emergency. And we really do want to encourage people who are having difficulty uh, because of loss of income, paying rent, to uh, contact us, to uh, contact our emergency rental assistance program, to, con- to contact HCD. We have a num. We want to connect people with resources so that they can. They are able to. Keep their um, keep their credit and be in their tenant records as well as to avoid eviction. Lisa Ramsapol, as the clinical director of Street Sense, what is your role with the organization? Um, it's twofold, um, and it's transitioning a bit. So I oversee our case management and outreach programs, and as part of that, I actually. Um, I'm the one usually on street outreach in some capacity. Um, I oversee and perform a bit of our case management function as well, and I also handle clinical emergencies. So somebody coming in with um, a mental health crisis, um, somebody needing treatment. Uh, right now, if somebody comes in with COVID symptoms, um, you know, making sure that they get the uh, health care that they need. 
Also, our vendor employment program, um, starting this summer, I've uh, begun overseeing uh, the, uh, the director of that program. And so part of it is looking to create a um, really seamless uh, approach that looks at the whole person and prioritizes their employment. Um, we know that homelessness is largely an economic problem. It's complicated, and there are many things involved, but if you don't have work and aren't able to get work and build up experience, you're not going to be able to afford somewhere to live. So that's our primary uh, mission of our organization is creating a no-barrier approach and using community and supportive services to bolster that. So my job is to oversee both of those programs and help work that together in a seamless manner while also managing um, the overall uh, mental health and well-being of, of our folks. Chad in Georgetown. Chad, you're on the air. We only have about a minute left, but go ahead, please. Okay, I'll speak quickly. Kojo, thanks for the show uh, and to your speakers. Uh, so a couple of technologies we've been exploring. I'm an emergency physician with the military. Uh, one is a passive technology called uh, dry hydrogen peroxide. The other is uh, needle point uh, bipolar ionization. But basically, in our research, we've been able to put these things into facilities and eliminate uh, or biohazard mitigation like COVID. Um, I know that in our some of our research shows that in homeless shelters, it can help um, actively kill things like lice and other parasites on homeless and give them more confidence to be in small rooms together. I'm just wondering if you guys have taken a look at any of those uh, approaches as opposed to, I know you're doing active things like shields and washing hands and Purell, but uh, I think this technology is in the position to maybe be donated to the city. I'm afraid we um, only have Laura Zeilinger, but 20 seconds left. Uh, so I'd love to learn more. Um, please do contact us. And I just want to also acknowledge we do have a storyboard that is just launched on our website at dhs.dc.gov storyboard where you can follow our okay. trends around um, around w- what we're doing to um, reduce the spread of COVID. Um, okay, I'm afraid that's community. all the time we have. Laura Zeilinger, Lisa Rampasol, thank you both for joining us. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we look at the mental and physical toll of intense activism. I'm Kojo Nand. WAMU 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.